The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Six days after Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It is clear that the Old Testament reading from Exodus that we heard this morning is a setup for what we hear in the Gospel reading today. In Exodus, the stage is this. The Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt, and they're being led to the promised land by Moses, who was kind of a reluctant leader. And they don't get a straight and easy shot to the promised land. No, they have to journey a bit. Actually, it's quite a lot. It's a long journey. There's hardship and anger amongst the people, and there's a lot of are we there yet? Kind of whining from the people, right? Oh, we had it so good in Egypt. We had leeks and we had onions and we had all these things and now we have no food in the desert. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in Exodus. 
But what they don't realize is that they are in a state of becoming. As a people, as the people who will tell the story of God, their identity as the chosen people of God has not yet been formed, and there ends up being a lot of lessons and reflections and courage that has to happen. So today we have Moses going up to the mountain at the behest of God who says, Moses, meet me at the top of the mountain and I'm going to give you tablets of stone because we have new laws and we have new commandments. We have a new covenant between God and the people. So God appeared to Moses in the midst of cloud cover. On the one hand, it's cloud cover, but then the people below, it says that they saw the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. So we, had, we have God in the midst of cloud cover, and then we have God revealing his glory like a devouring fire. And the Israelites are beginning this new journey with God. And it is after this passage in Exodus, which we don't read today, but it's after this passage where God gives very, very detailed instructions on how to build a dwelling, a portable traveling dwelling place for God's self. It's called a tabernacle, and it's a, it's a place for God to dwell and be in the midst of the people while they travel through the desert and it'll be it's carried amongst the people and God will literally travel with the people traveling with the people of Israel as they wander through the desert and and, and they will carry this portable dwelling place for God wherever they go and that they know is where God can be found and they're embarking on this new relationship and a new way of relating to God However, this God is kind of unknown as he's still appearing in the clouds and also appearing kind of in a scary way in the devouring fire. God is with them, but not really seen, not really relatable, still somewhat apart, and there's still a barrier between God and the people, even with this portable dwelling place that they will build. So God gives Moses the tablets where the law is written, and now the people, they are going to know God through the law, through the Torah. The law will be this mediator, and by following this law, you will know God. That's, that's the concept. That's the goal, anyway. So both in the reading in Exodus and with the gospel reading from Matthew, we have these, these amazing special effects. We have fire and shining lights and all of this kind of stuff. It's a mountaintop experience on, in, in both passages where God is encountered. But the encounter isn't for Moses, and it's not for Jesus alone. In Exodus, the encounter is for the people, and the same in the gospel. It is for the disciples 
to then bring to the people when the time is right. In the Exodus story, God will now be with and travel with the people in this tabernacle and, that they will make. And in the gospel, God will be with the people and travel with the people through Jesus. Jesus will be the way the people can encounter God. In Exodus, the law becomes this intermediary. Now it is Jesus who says earlier in Matthew, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to complete the law. Jesus is the completion of the story, the transfiguration, if you will, of a new way of being with God and encountering God. Isn't the Bible fascinating? It's, it's so great when you can start putting these pieces together so that you can, uh, a picture emerges, right? that tells a full story, a story of God wanting desperately to be in relationship with the people, and the people, they go with it for a little bit, and then they turn away, and then there's sin, and then bad things happen, and then God pulls them back over and over and over and over again in the Bible. So, so both Moses and Jesus have these epiphanies that are meant for the people. But how do the people react? And, and, and that's the question for all of us today, especially as we are soon going to be entering into the 40 days of Lent. So we've just seen God in the incarnation at Christmas, and then all throughout the Epiphany season, we celebrate God in the world being made manifest in the world, and God is the light to the world, and the light has come, alleluia. And now what? What do we do with this recognition? For the Israelites, they get instructions, like I said, on how to build this portable traveling tabernacle, this movable dwelling for God, but then, later on in Exodus, they get so impatient and they decide that they can make it on their own and they can make their own God and they don't have to follow this God of Moses or this Moses character um, because later in Exodus, Moses goes back up the mountain and he doesn't come back down for a really long time and people get worried and they get concerned. Something happened to Moses, so they stop trusting and so they start making gods of their own, and that's where we get the golden calf, and we know how that ends up badly, and so on. In Matthew, Jesus says, tell no one what you saw up here until after the resurrection. In other words, we don't want to happen like what happened with Moses and the people, because they gave up on Moses. Jesus is saying that wait till the resurrection because it's at the resurrection where the deal will be sealed. Then the people will see the true full picture, the true glory revealed. Then will the people truly understand the fullness of God's love and power for humanity, which we see in the later testimony of, it's actually 2 Peter uh, today, um, who tells the story of what happened up there on the mountaintop. 
So these mountaintop encounters, they're all really well and good, but we don't have to wait to have them in order to become faithful followers of Jesus. They're, they're big and they're dramatic, and, and, and that is why the disciples are so important because they experience this big moment of Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop, but eventually it will be up to them to come down from the mountain put their boots on the ground, roll up their sleeves, and tell the tale, tell the story. And that is what the Gospels are. They're these stories of the witness to the epiphanies. The challenge for the disciples will eventually be, be uh, that they will have to exist in a world without Jesus physically being present with them. So, it's no wonder that they just want to stay up there on that mountain and build dwellings, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Moses representing the Torah and the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and they just want to hang up there a while and pay homage to the things they know. We know Moses. We know Elijah, but this Jesus thing going down and having to Oh, I don't, I don't know yet. I want to stay up here. Because the minute we leave here, we have to go off on a new journey down the mountain, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be scary, it's going to be unknown. Because it is right before this passage in Matthew, which we don't hear about today, that Jesus tells Peter and the others that Jesus will have to go to Jerusalem and there he will suffer and he will be killed by the chief priests and scribes and he will rise again in three days. And Peter says to him when he hears this, he says, no, no, that can't happen to you. And Jesus says, ugh, Get behind me, Satan. And there's that argument you may remember. So you can imagine that the disciples wish to stay up there. Stay up there a while, not have to face that trip to Jerusalem and the suffering. Peter, who just six days ago in Caesarea Philippi says to Jesus that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, when Jesus asks him, who do you say that I am? who now kind of wants to stall. He wants to stay up there. He says, Lord, you know, it's good for us to be here. I can make, you know what I can do? I can make three dwellings. And anyone who has had any remodeling done lately will all know <laughs> how long it takes for construction to get done, right? Let's hang up here for a while. Do a little stalling. And then as we know, Peter, Peter later denies even knowing Jesus. This is the disciple, the rock on which the church is going to be built. Oh, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. Mm, I don't know you. You're the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. Mm, never heard of the man. Does that sound familiar maybe? Do we ever do that? We don't want to go through the hard stuff. Because the hard stuff tests our courage. You know, I, I have this trainer at the gym that I belong to, and I, I have these appointments set up, and so I have to go because I've prepaid for them. So last week, <laughs> I met with her at the gym, and I said, no offense, but, you know, I hate coming here. 
I don't want to come here. It's too hard. And it is, and I don't like it. Every time I walk in there, I just go, ugh. But I know that after a bit, it will get easier, and I need to do it. But it's painful, literally, and it's hard. We hate that kind of stuff. So, so here we are, the last Sunday before Lent. And, and, you know, all of this time through the Christmas season and the Epiphany season, we have these shining moments up away from, you know, up away from it all. We're all happy and everything's great and the light of the world and all of that. But we have to go down the mountain and we have to face what we have to face. What the disciples in the gospel and the people of Israel in the Exodus story, and by way of extension, all of us have to remember, is that we have to trust that God prepares us for the challenging times by way of those transcendent, transformational encounters we have had in our lives. That the foundation of our faith is built on those moments of utter awe and wonder that we have had on our proverbial mountaintops. Because of these moments where we have felt the presence of God truly with us, we can come down from the mountain. We can endure the world below with its uncertainties and scary possibilities. What makes this encounter with Jesus on the mountain different from the Moses encounter with God, though, is that the glory of God is revealed, but not put in a box, not hidden by fog, not impenetrable because of a devouring fire. It's not scary, but it is accessible. When the disciples hear the voice of God saying, this is my son, the beloved with him I am well pleased. They, boom, out of fear, they fall to the floor and they prostrate themselves in all humility. And Jesus goes over to them, the gospel says, and he touches them. The gospel says that Jesus came and touched them. There's connection. There's no barrier, not anymore. We may not think that they were important, but we have all had mountaintop moments where somehow God revealed God's self in glory and touched us in some way. There's a current day poet, his name is Christian Wyman. And as a younger man, he suffered from cancer, and he was relatively young when all of this happened with a new family, and, and he, he's a poet, like I said, but his writings are a lot about going you know, through these challenging times and working his way through the perilous thoughts that came about with his bodily suffering, and he wrestles a little bit uh, with his beliefs, but he, he writes, I hear people say that they have no religious impulse whatsoever, or believers or would-be believers express a sadness and frustration that they have never really been absolutely overpowered by God. I always want to respond, really? You have never felt overwhelmed by and in some way inadequate to an experience in your life, have never felt something in yourself staking a claim beyond yourself, some wordless mystery straining through words to reach you? Never? So I invite you 
especially as we enter into the season of Lent, to think about your own mountaintop experiences. When and where was the glory of God revealed to you? And hold on to those recollections. As we examine ourselves or as we are asked to go deeper into our hearts during the Lenten season, to see where things may need to be reconciled in our lives, how might these moments with God sustain you and give you hope for a new transformative experience that the transfiguration promises us? Amen.